0: Bibles, if you would, and uh, let's turn to Revelation chapter number three this morning. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, let's stand out of respect. If you've been here in the last couple weeks, or really maybe the last couple months, we've been going through what oftentimes is referred to as the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And uh, we believe, because we believe God's word is, is, is absolute, that God's word is inerrant, uh, we believe that these were seven literal churches that existed. And each one of these churches, there's descriptions that, that the Lord describes these churches. And a lot of times as I was studying these passages, I was thinking about our own church. I wonder how the Lord would describe Bible Baptist Church in Pembroke Pines. I wonder what words would come from the heart of the Lord about our church. And I would would hope and pray that when the Lord would say something about our church, it would be something that is commendable, something that's pleasing to him. And as we've gone through these churches, there's been many things that the Lord has spoke out about, uh, some things spoke against, and there are some things that he's commended them for. And we come today to this last of these seven churches, to what's known as the Church of Laodicea. And it's an interesting uh, topic here before us this morning, because if you, if you look at the history of what we call the church, now when I say the church, the Bible says that the Lord, He purchased the church with His own blood, Acts 20:24. 20, Uh, Jesus died for the church. Well, what is the church? It's not a building. It's the people of God. It's those that are saved in Christ. If you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're a part of His church. Now, I believe that the Bible describes what is known as the local church. Uh, That would mean a, a local body of believers assembling together for the furtherance of the gospel. And so, therefore, we are the Bible Baptist Church in Pembroke Pines, Florida. As we look at these churches, they are described as, like last week, the church in Philadelphia. Today, it's the Church of Laodicea. And so I want you to think about that because these are people that the Lord was writing to. It wasn't some building. And we have to keep that in mind when we come to this particular portion here because today's passage deals with the last of these churches And so if if you study historically, Jesus came and established the church when he was on this earth. And as he established the church, the church has gone through different periods and the church has looked various ways that is depicted through these churches. So if this is the last of these churches, many believe that this church of Laodicea is describing the church present day. In other words, There's no more churches named after the church of Laodicea. And I believe with all my heart that this is descriptive of the church present day. Now, you may vary on that. That's okay. But I want you to see from the word of God what he is saying to the church of Laodicea. Look what it says in verse 14 of Revelation 3. Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, saith the amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest seest. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. It says here, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now that phrase there in that last verse is what we have seen repeated in each one of these letters to these churches. And again, the Bible says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. And what we need to do, as I mentioned last week, is to hear what is God saying to us today. God has preserved his word to our generation that we might learn something from what's happened at the church of Laodicea. And shall we pray? Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us. We're thankful that you're long-suffering with us. Lord, I pray today that if there is anything that is causing us Lord, to be lukewarm, that God, you would help us to see what needs to take place in our hearts, that we might change our ways, that we might be a church that would be used mightily by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and for the reading of God's word. Now, you know, I enjoy... A nice, hot shower. I like getting up in the morning and going into the bathroom and turning the water on and having a nice, hot shower. Now, I don't understand, maybe it's because I didn't serve in the military, but my father-in-law does something that's called a military shower. He turns the water on, gets wet, turns the water off, soaps up turns the water back on, rinses off, turns the water back off. That's not how you get a shower. (laughs) You know, you get in the shower, you want to get in there, a shower just, it it invigorates you, it just brings you alive, it it gives you energy, but you know, in all the houses I've ever lived in, I've never seen a, a, a shower or a bathroom sink or a kitchen sink that had a cold faucet and a hot faucet, and a lukewarm faucet. I mean, if you leave the hot water on long enough, eventually that hot water heater is going to run out to where it's going to become warm, and it eventually become cold. And I've seen Christians over the years that used to be on fire for God. I mean, boy, I tell you, you get around them, and it's just like, you know, they're, they're just... Foaming at the mouth to talk about the Lord. They're so excited about how the Lord saved them and how God's working in their life and how they want to tell everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ and invite them to church. And they're excited about everything about God. But then something happens. They become kind of complacent. They no longer want to talk about the Lord the way they used to. They've been saved now for so many years that they're no longer hot, they've just kind of become cold. Now I've been around a lot of people and I've seen people very on fire for God and I've seen people that are very cold. But it's interesting how the Lord describes this church and I want you to look back at what he says here in verse number 15. He says again, I know thy works. He knows everything about the church. He says, thou art neither cold nor hot. And notice the statement, I would thou wert cold or hot, so that because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, I'm not reading into the scriptures, but the word spew, means the vomit. It makes the Lord sick when his church is lukewarm. And I want you to see this morning because Laodicea and I won't give you a full history lesson but Laodicea was a church that was known for a lot of things. They were known for their wealth. They were known as a place that that manufactured a uh, and it's interesting the Lord brings that out in the passage but they manufactured a special eye salve that they used to use to help people with eye problems. They manufactured a a wool cloth that was a, a black cloth that was kind of glossy when you looked at it, kind of unusual, but they, they were known for that. They were also known for hot springs and cold, cold water. They had hot springs where people could go. They used them for baths, they used them for medicinal purposes. But they were also known for, if you wanted a a cold, refreshing drink of water, Laodicea had cold, cold water. Now here in this passage, we also know that it was well known because it was to this church that the Lord Jesus Christ himself presented himself to. And it's interesting how he described himself. He calls himself the Amen. Now, if you look back in the Old Testament, that's a phrase that is a title used for God himself. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 65, that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth, and he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. You say, Pastor, I didn't see the word there, uh, the amen, in that verse, verse 16 of Isaiah 65. The word truth that you see there in that verse... He says, the God of truth, the Hebrew word there actually means the amen. He refers to himself as God, the amen, because when we study the word of God, here's what we find out is that Jesus is the truth. The Bible is clear that he speaks the truth, that he is the faithful and true witness. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is the truth. He's coming to this church. And it's interesting as Jesus, the truth comes to them, he saved this particular church for the last of all. And the reality is he saved the worst for the last. He comes and he writes this letter, very sad letter, very disturbing out of all the churches. And I think it's one that many can identify with I think it's a picture of the last days. Look what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3. This know also that in the last days, and many people believe we're living in those days, that perilous times shall come. Now look at the description God describes of the last days and let's see if it sounds like the day we're living in, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that do what? Good, traitors, heady, high minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof, and notice the admonition from the word of God, from such do what? Turn away. away. Now, when you study the word of God, here's some some alarming statistics. I want you to think about these, because in this day and hour that we're living in, they've actually asked Christians these questions, do you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? And 59% of Christians reject the virgin birth. Christians. They asked if they believed in life after death, 71% of Christians reject life after death. They asked if if you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, 54% of Christians deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when asked if they believe in the personal return of the Lord one day, 98% said that they have a problem, an issue with the personal return of Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm going to tell you, if that was the world, that'd be one thing. But those are alarming statistics when asked of Christians. Evil days, perilous times in these last days. Peter wrote in Peter, 2 Peter 3, knowing this first, that there shall first come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You know what happened when God created man and man sinned in the garden? Everything has been getting worse instead of getting better. The Bible says that it's waxing worse. There's a lot of people who try to get you to believe that the world's getting better, and I'm not here today to be a doomsayer I'm here to tell you that you and I need to understand the times that we are living in. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning because if if you're breathing and you've watched or heard any news, you know that things are getting worse in this world, are they not? I mean, we saw this week Spain being attacked a couple different places. Every time you turn around, there's some type of terrorism, there's some type of assault against Bible-believing Christians in this world. And And the Bible says, again, they are despisers of those that are good. I mean, people who are trying to do good things are being ridiculed today because of their faith in Christ. See, when you think about this church in Laodicea, and it's descriptive of the church in the present day, I think we'll see this morning from this passage... Some things that this church of Laodicea lost, things that I'm afraid that churches across our nation are losing. And I want you to see, first of all, this morning, that they had lost their vision. They had lost their vision. The word vision doesn't necessarily mean eyesight. When you find it in the Word of God, without vision, the people what? Perish. Perish. It's talking more about the Word of God. When there is no Bible, when there's no Word of God, we find that people lose their way. We've seen this going on in the United States of America for many, many years, but here in Laodicea, we find that because they lost their vision, notice, they were unable to see their need. A lukewarm Christian becomes comfortable. Uh, they, They no longer go to the altar at the invitation. They're just happy to be in church, but don't ask me to do something, and they did not realize that they had a need. Look, whenever I go out, here's what I find is that people order or drink two different kinds of drinks. They either want something that's hot, hot, or cold, cold. Now, you know, I've never been a hot drinker because, number one, I don't drink coffee, and number two, I don't like to burn the roof of my mouth. I I don't know how coffee drinkers do it other than the fact that they've scalded themselves so many times that it doesn't bother them anymore. I see people take some of the hottest coffee and just start drinking away like it's nothing. Now, I honestly prefer cold drinks is what I prefer. Now, I'll drink hot chocolate, but again, I'm kind of a sissy. I don't even like it super hot, you know? I let it sit there for a while so I can drink it. But look, the Lord says, look, I would rather you be hot are cold and not be lukewarm because something that is lukewarm, he says, will make me sick. Listen to this. Every year, between 60,000 and 200,000 people, this is true, will die from a medical condition, maybe you've heard of it, called deep vein thrombosis. Usually it occurs in a person's legs where blood has pooled, allowing a blood clot to form. Once that blood clot forms, the danger is that the clot might circulate to the lungs or brain where it can cause respiratory failure or a stroke. The tragic thing about DVT is that they are not caused by irresponsible behavior. They are simply caused by being inactive. Now think about this, because simply sitting around, laying down too long, oftentimes these clots would form. And what happens in a church is a church that used to be on fire and used to be involved in the work of God has just gotten complacent. They just want to sit around and do nothing. Hey, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. According to the word of God, I have eternal life. Listen, God saved us and left us here to serve him. God wants us to do something. The Bible says in 1 John 1.8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The church in Laodicea was unable to see their need. Many times people are sick and they don't realize it. They can't see it. But today the church is sick. I want you to see the second thing about them. They were not only unable to see their need, they were unwilling to face the truth. Now, listen, I, I, I know sometimes it's hard to come to grips with things. I'm not looking forward to getting old. By the way, I'm still a young pastor, all right? I, I'm not looking forward to getting old. But I remember, I don't know how many years ago, was my, my own mother, who had a driver's license, realized that, I guess, some things were going on in her life, and she came to the place. Nobody told her, nobody made her, nobody forced her. My mother surrendered her driver's license on her own. But I see a lot of adults driving cars that someone needs to take away their driver's license. They've just not come to grips with the fact I shouldn't be driving, and I see them on the road every day. They, They try to run me off the road every day because they are unwilling to face the truth. Now, that's what the Lord was dealing with, the truth about this church of Laodicea is they had become independent. Now, let me stop here for a second. Some of you may not, like I did, and may not come from the same background that our church is, but we call ourselves an independent Baptist church. Now, sometimes people don't understand that description of our church. Number one, it's from the word of God, and what it means is the Bible says in Colossians 1, that Christ is the head of the church. We don't belong to a denominational headquarters. We don't belong to some cooperative program. We are the Lord's church. This is his church. It's not our church. And as a result of that, we are independent of any other affiliations. We belong to Jesus. Now, a lot of times people don't understand that. We we don't say we're independent Baptists so that we can say we're a lone ranger so we can do what we want. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. According to the Word of God, we are a Bible-believing church. We are accountable to the Lord and to the Word of God that He's given to us. But see, the church in Laodicea was a church that had become independent, listen, had become independent of God. They were a church that had become self-satisfied in what they could do. And in the process, they had become secure in who they were. Now look what the Bible says in John 15, 5. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me, ye can do what? Folks, look at me. We need the Lord he's the vine. He's the one supplying the nutrients. He's the one supplying life. He's the one supplying the power. Without him, we can't do a thing. And this church thought and it got to the place where they, they thought that they didn't need the Lord. And there's a lot of churches today, if you want to call them that, even in our area, that are having services. But unless they've got god's holy word open unless god's word is going forth in those services unless god is being exalted in those services nothing in those services is pleasing to the lord that's the same thing that was happening here i want you to look at what the bible says here notice back in chapter 3 look at verse number uh, 14 and i want you to see what i saw the other day when i began studying look at verse number 14 under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Everybody see those words? Now notice the prepositional phrase. I, I guess I'm a little bit fanatical when it comes to every word in the Bible because God's promised to bless every jot and tittle, every dotting of the I, every crossing of the T. And listen, some of the, some of the words that got me years ago when I started studying the Bible were even prepositions. And I want you to look again and see if you see this, because he says here, of the church, what's that next word? Of. of. Now, if you go back to the church that we just studied last Sunday, the church in Philadelphia, if you look in, the, in this chapter, in the previous church, it says the church in, the church in Philadelphia. Notice this one says the church of the Laodiceans. It was their church. It wasn't the Lord's church. You see, they were unwilling to face the truth that they needed the Lord. The church today does not exist, and our church does not exist to to somehow propagate our own agenda. I have no agenda today it is God's will be done in the life and history of our church. This isn't our church, it's his church. Why? Because he bought it. He's building it. He backs the church. He's the one that can heal the church, as it mentions here, that he is the one that has the heavenly eye salve. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And this is a great description of what the devil is doing in churches today. It says, in whom the God, little letter G of this world, have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, they had lost their vision. They, they, They were unable to see their need, and they were unwilling to face the truth that they needed the Lord. But I want you to see another thing they lost. Look at number two. They lost their vigor. They lost their vigor. You see, their strength was gone, their energy was gone, because listen, they are the branches and they're trying to operate without the vine. You see, Jesus comes to them and he says, listen, I see that you have, first of all, a misplaced passion. He says, I, I would rather that you were cold or hot. He says, somehow your passion has changed. And he says, I, you make me sick. He says, I want to vomit you. And when I think about... And I've already described this, but there are three spiritual temperatures that are described in the word of God. And I want you to see this. Look at the first one, is that there is, first of all, a burning heart, one that is on fire for God, one that loves God with all their soul, with all their strength. Luke 24, look at verse 32. The disciples said one to another, did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us by the way and while he opened unto us the scriptures? That's a heart that is on fire for God, that says, listen, I I want to hear the word of God. And the first spiritual temperature is someone that has a heart for God. But notice the second one, it's a cold heart. The Bible says in Matthew 24, because iniquity, because sin shall abound, the love of many shall wax what? Cold. People that used to be on fire for God. The church in Laodicea that used to, he says, I know thy works. But he says somehow they've got away and they've gotten cold. But then notice the one described here, the third kind of spiritual temperature is a lukewarm heart. He says in verse 16 again, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. See, the temperature is what the Lord is looking at today when he looks at the church. And I wonder today, is he, if he looks at you and he looks at our church, is he seeing someone that's hot, cold, or lukewarm? You see... Zinzendorf said this, I have but one passion. It is he and he only. The Lord ought to be the passion of our hearts. On his deathbed, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he urged his fellow workers to to this one thought. He says, men, I want you to tend to the fire. Tend to the fire, he said on his deathbed. He says, for it is the nature of a fire to go out. That was our biggie when I was a kid was we used to go camping all the time. And that was the highlight because as a little boy, we used to love to throw anything into the fire. But I noticed that when it got late at night before we get ready to go get into our tents and go to sleep, that many times my dad would quit putting wood on the fire because he wanted that fire to dwindle down so that it was safe for us to go to sleep so that nothing would catch on fire. And that's exactly what happens in a church's life, is that somehow, some way, we no longer are fueling the fire. We're not reading our Bibles. We're not praying. We don't have a hunger for the things of God. We're just happy sitting by, being cold or being lukewarm, and this church was one that had a misplaced passion, and Jesus was talking about that but notice they also had a misguided perception. I mean, they felt in their hearts that they had it all. I mean, sometimes you talk to people and when you listen to them talk, you think, wow, things are going well, and then you find out later on, it's not at all what they said. I talk to many people, men are really funny, because I'll say to them, how's it going? They'll say, fine. You know, guys, they, you know, we've got this exterior that we've got to keep up, this wall and many times there's something going on we think we're okay that's the way the church in Laodicea was but when Jesus looked at them he saw something that they didn't see see they looked at their position they looked at their possessions they looked at their power in other words It was everything about them and not about what the Lord wanted, but yet he describes them as a people that were indifferent, they were apathetic, they were unmoved, and yet they thought they were in good shape. You know what their description, their perception was based on? It was based on blindness. They couldn't see things. Notice his description of them there. He he says, you are wretched. The word there means they didn't even know that they were miserable. He says you're wretched. He says you're miserable. To be miserable means that you are in such a bad state that other people are pitying you. Now, listen, I think that it does not please God when the world around us sees the church in a pathetic situation. I think the church should be a strong entity that God is using, that God... God's will would be done, that God would be getting the glory, but this church was wretched, it was miserable. The next word he uses is that they're poor. The word here means that they couldn't even meet their own needs, and yet they said, hey, we're rich. But they could not meet their own needs. They were spiritual beggars is what they were. And then he says that you are blind. They didn't see the reality of the situation. I, I, amazing true story that I read about this that describes the church in Laodicea. Listen to this. Many of you know the, the race car driver, championship race car driver by the name of Dale Earnhardt. And some of you might know this story, but he was known for being so calm before races that occasionally, while everybody else was stressing out about having a race and going to be in a race, that Dale Earnhardt would take a cat nap before the start of the race. He was that calm. I mean, some of the drivers, they would, the doctors testified that they would have a pulse rate of 100 to 120 before a race, but Earnhardt's pulse rate would be less than 60. They said on August 31st, 1997, at the Southern 500 race in Darlington, South Carolina, Earnhardt unintentionally took catnapping to a dangerous new level. At the start of the race, Earnhardt fell asleep at the wheel. He went into a semi Conscious state, but he kept on driving. At the second turn, he hit the wall again, harder this time. He continued slowly around the track for two laps. He drove this car asleep, looking for his pit stop. When he finally came to, he was unable to find it. Finally, he pulled off the track. Later, he would say that he remembered nothing, didn't remember the incident at all. Sixteen doctors examined Dale Earnhardt, To find out what had happened, they found nothing definite, but they didn't think the problem would reoccur, and so they cleared Earnhardt to continue racing. Frightening but true, it is possible for a while to drive over 100 miles an hour and yet be asleep. In the same way, we can be busy racing through our lives with our eyes open, our hands on the wheel, our foot to the floor, yet spiritually asleep. And can I tell you that just like the church in Laodicea, sooner or later, though, the trouble will begin. And that's what was going on is is that they had come to a place where their passion was misplaced, their perception was misguided, because they had lost their vigor. But notice another thing they lost, they lost their values. Now we know what the Bible says. Jesus instructed us in Matthew 6, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. I hope you're not filling your bank account and filling your barns because Jesus said that we need to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where the thieves do not break through nor steal, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, biblical values oftentimes are ignored. And when a church or a people uh, ignore those values, here's what's going to happen is, there will be a decline in that church, in those people. Let me give you an example. Since the Bible was removed, and by the way, I can easily remember this, in public schools in America, it was the year I was born. They took Bible and prayer out of the schools. They thought that was a good thing. Can I give you true facts, five developments that have happened since they removed the Bible, God's Word, from school. First of all, academic achievement has plummeted. That includes SAT scores. Second thing that has happened and developed is there's been an increase rate of -of out-of-wedlock births. The third development is there's been an increase in illegal drug use. The fourth thing is an increase in juvenile crime. And the fifth thing is a deterioration of of school behavior itself. You see, back when the decision was made June 25th, 1962 by our Supreme Court of the United States to remove Bible and prayer from the public school system, that may have been the worst spiritually significant event in the history of our nation over the course of the last 55 years. And like Laodicea, we too, as a people, as a nation, have lost our values. And folks, we've got to get back to the Bible We've got to get back to what God has said for His church in the Word of God, and they had lost their values. Notice, fourthly, they lost their vesture. The Bible says here in verse number 17, "...because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and naked, blind, and naked." Notice they are naked. He says, "...I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich." And notice white raiment that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Jesus is inviting the church of Laodicea. He's inviting us today to adorn ourselves in spiritual garment. He is inviting us to come to him. Listen, if you are not saved today, I can't make it any more clear that Jesus is inviting you to come to him today. You see, they were naked and lost in their sins. But I love what Jesus does here In his grace and mercy, he says, if you come to me, I will clothe you in robes of righteousness. Now, the Bible says our righteousness, ours, is as filthy rags. But I'm glad that Jesus' righteousness is placed on my account today. That when God looks at me, he does not see my sin but he sees the righteousness of his own dear son. Isaiah spoke of this in Isaiah sixty-one ten. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments as in a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. He says, look, if you come to me, I will adorn you with these robes of righteousness. But listen. If they will not come to him, notice verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, folks, listen, the church of Laodicea, according to Jesus, was naked. It was was without righteousness. They were unsaved people. And notice, in their nakedness, what does he offer to them? He offers his compassion I, I love the Lord Jesus he says as many as I love no matter how they treated him no matter how indifferent they were to him he still loved them he still loves us God never writes someone off he compassionately calls to them he continued to love them even though they didn't love him does that remind you of what John wrote in John 1 11 he came to his own and his own received him not I I look at Luke 17, 25, but first must he, Jesus, suffer many things. And look at this, in that suffering, he was to be rejected of this generation. See, in their nakedness, he offers compassion. In their nakedness, he offers caution. He says, I rebuke and chasten. The one thing I love about the Lord is this, is that he is not going to let me sin successfully. He's not going to let me go on in my sin. He is going to deal with me. He loves us too much to leave us, and so he uses two methods to turn us to him. And I want you to get these this morning because this is what the Lord wants to do in your life and mine, and he will use these to turn us. Notice the first word is rebuke. Now here's what it means. It means to convict, and it means to correct. Now, what convicts us? The Word of God. What corrects us? The Word of God. God uses His Word. And what was Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea? His Word. God was using His Word. Look at Mark 14, 72. How about this? The second time, the cock crew, And Peter called to mind the Word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crowed twice. Thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. You know what happened? God used his word. It convicted Peter. It it, it got to him. It began to correct him. It began to show him that there was something in his life that wasn't right. And listen, if we come to him, the Bible says he will receive us unto himself. But if we fail to heed his rebuke, then here's what happens is, he uses the second method to bring us to himself. Look at this second word. The word is chasten. Now, I know it's not a popular word, but here's what it literally means. It means to correct with blows. Anybody ever been chastened? Maybe you're more familiar with the word whooping. I I know this, that if you think about this, that, you think about that son that's always wanting to do his own thing. Not, and when it comes time when the father wants to chasten him, what's the son doing? He's trying to get as far away as he can from the father. And the father's trying to chasten him. And, it, and, and the farther away he gets, guess what happens? Daddy can use the full arm to chasten him. You know the best place to be when he is chastening you? Right up against him. And that's what we need to realize is is God loves us. He loves us more than we realize he loves us. And he was trying to get the attention of the church in Laodicea, and he says that he would rebuke them, he would chasten them. Listen, there may be something in your life God will get your attention, God will chasten, God will touch any area of your life to get your attention. Look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 5. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son... So the Lord, thy God, chasteneth thee. Those who refuse to walk with God, you know what will happen? They'll encounter trouble in their lives. They, they will have God dealing with them about this or that. Proverbs thirteen fifteen. good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is what? It's hard. Jeremiah said, Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backslidings shall reprove thee, Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. See, he comes to them in their nakedness. And what does he do? He offers compassion. He comes to them in their nakedness and he offers caution. But notice thirdly, he comes to them in their nakedness and he offers counsel. Here's what he says to them. Be zealous and do what? Repent. Be zealous and repent. Now, the word zealous means to bring to a boil, zeal. And what he's saying to this church is, you know how you used to love me? You know how you used to be on fire for God? Somehow that's changed and you become lukewarm. And he says, I want you to be zealous. I want you to be on fire. And he says there, I want you to repent. To repent means to change the mind, And it results in a change of direction. We, this morning, like the church in Laodicea, we need to hear what the Lord is saying to the church and we need to heed what God is saying. We need to be on fire for God. We need to have a heart that is aflame for the Lord. Look what George Washington said about this matter of being on fire. He said, labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience. You know, a woman that was mightily used of God, Helen Keller, she was blind. And it's an amazing quote that she said when she stated this in her blindness. She said, joy is the holy fire that keeps our purpose warm and our intelligence aglow. If a blind person can realize that, then we that physically can see ought to realize God wants us hot and not cold, and not lukewarm. Look what, again what William Booth said. He said, there are different kinds of fire. There is false fire. No one knows this better than we do. But we are not such fools as to refuse good banknotes because they are false ones in circulation. And he says, although we see here and there manifestations of what appears to us to be nothing more than mere earthly fire, we nonetheless... Prize and value and seek for the genuine fire which comes from the altar of the Lord. Did you hear what Booth said? We should seek the genuine fire, not false fire. And he says, you know where that fire comes from? The Old Testament described it. It comes from the altar of the Lord. Now, when I look at this letter and I see his writing to the church in Laodicea, they had lost some things. And in all that they lost, their vision and their vesture, and all the things that they had misplaced and lost, sadly to say, the greatest thing they lost was they had lost the Lord. You see this here, how the the truth comes out. That Jesus himself had been evicted from his own church. Notice the Bible describes here, look, look at the end of the chapter in verse 20. Notice he says, behold, I stand at the what? Door. He's standing at the door of the church. He's knocking. Now, I've used this verse before talking to people about salvation, but really the application here is is that Jesus himself is outside the church. And he's knocking so that he can enter. Now, folks, I mean, honestly, you think about this, this door here. I mean, here's the Lord. He is, he is outside the church. And as he's outside the church, his desire is to be inside the church. He doesn't want to be outside. He wants to be among God's people. He wants to have fellowship. The Bible says if any man open the door, is somebody willing to open the door and let him in? Because the one thing that you find is he's knocking. He wants to come in. I want to come into the church. It's my church. I bought the church. I gave my blood for the church. Open the door so I could come into the church. But how many churches today he's not been invited? The one thing about the Lord that I find is, is that he will not force himself in. This door is an interesting door because... There's no handle on the outside. The only handle's on the inside. That means someone on the inside has to open the door to let him in. And he said that if you open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, we have strange eating habits here in America. It's called we eat too much. But I studied it out that back in the time that the Lord Jesus was on this earth, they had three meals that they ate, three big meals. And what they would do is they would eat a big breakfast. They would eat a smaller meal for lunch. And dinner actually was a lighter meal that was really more designed as a time of fellowship. It was a time to get together and sit around the family table. And we've gotten away from that in our country. Families don't sit around the table. Families don't enjoy hearing about how their day went. How'd your work go today? How'd school go today? Did you learn anything new? And he says right here, he says, I will come in and I will sup with you. Now look, you cannot blame your dry spiritual condition on the church and on other people. The only thing that you need to do is to go to the door and open the door and let him in. And he says, I will come in. And I will sup with him and he with me. Now, folks, how sad it is that he's standing outside of the church That he paid for, that he loves, that he bought, and that he's building. I want to be a part of a church that cares. The question today is are you a lukewarm Christian? Are you lost? They were not, they did not have robes of righteousness. And Jesus was speaking to them. He loved them, even the way that they were indifferent to him. Vance Havner said, a halfway Christian works both sides of the street. He's religious because it helps him in business and it gives him a self-righteous satisfaction. But he has no intention, listen, no intention of making Jesus Lord of his life. Yet our Lord said he would rather a man be cold, utterly without profession to be a Christian, rather than medium, lukewarm, moderate. The question this morning is, are you saved? And if you are saved, are you hot? Are you cold? Or are you lukewarm? Let's bow our heads this morning. As the Lord's speaking to this church, in your own life, is the Lord a part of it? Is Jesus in your heart? Have you made time to invite him in. If you're saved, do you have fellowship with him every day? Do you spend that sweet time with him every day? You see, this morning the reality is is that if you are not saved, you will not even spend eternity with him. But The Bible says God is not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. Oh, this last letter that he wrote, Yes, there was a lot of things that the Lord was not pleased with. But you can still see that even in their condition, He loved them. No matter where you are today, God loves you. And let's come to the Lord today. If you need to be saved, if you need to come, maybe there's something in your life. Lord, thank you for this morning. I pray that you bless the invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.